There's two things you have to do when you make that decision. Um, one is you have to make it based on your gut and fully trust your gut and go headstrong that you made that decision. Yeah. And two, make peace with the fact that it could be the wrong decision. Welcome to the Checkup Podcast. Today, we have such a hard-hitting and important conversation with guests Sam and Kobe. They're known for their incredibly popular videos on YouTube exploring paranormal activity. And today, we're going to touch on some of that, but we're also going to touch on the earth-shattering testicular cancer diagnosis that Kobe received only a few short months ago from how he received the news, the emotional impact of it, the medical journey, and in fact, we will brainstorm on this very podcast what exactly should he do moving forward very educational conversation hope you enjoyed as much as i did let's get started with the checkup podcast i have to ask first question is this place haunted we walked in here and i just felt something was off really there's an energy i think we have to start an investigation now oh, really yeah. i think you know what <laughs> well i think podcast. the investigation that has to happen is to why they lie about floors in this building a hundred percent. Because if there's 10 floors missing in a building, maybe that's an area where ghosts hang out. You know what? what You're onto something here. <laughs> 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 What's on those mystery floors? We got to go figure it out. <laughs> Little did we know, there are no mystery floors. They just lie about the floors. They're just liars. God. Savages. For those thing. listening, what we're actually talking about is that my building, they have 10 floors missing in one section, then another 10 floors missing. And I always thought they were reserved for something. But in reality, if you go in between those 10 floors, there's nothing there. It just skips 10 floors. So, so New York is lying to you. New basically. York is all about the branding. Makes no sense. No ghosts, just lies. But speaking of ghosts, <laughs> I'm an evidence-based physician, meaning that every time I make a recommendation, as you'll see when we start talking about all the medical stuff you guys have going on, I base it off of evidence that we studied. Right. What is the evidence that paranormal activity exists? Well, see, that's the thing is there's no concrete evidence. And that's why there's people that are like ghost hunters like us trying to figure it out. Stuff. We have like our own equipment that will go off with electromagnetic energy. And we use that. And just honestly, like based on what we hear and, and see while we're at these places, it's there's no like concrete evidence that anybody has or else everybody would know about it. Fair. What's the best evidence you've seen that paranormal activity exists? Oh my gosh, we have literally experienced pretty much everything. Like we've we even gotten pushed, touched, we've heard voices in our ears, we've seen doors slam behind on us. Each other. Yeah, no, we doors definitely have slammed? evidence. Yeah. And this isn't like someone playing a joke or a prank. This is Full on real. I'm in a haunted mansion in Texas, and I asked the question, slam a door if you're if you're here, if you're behind me, and not literally it's only It's not like your 10 producer, seconds. it's not the camera person. Promise, it's only us, we only, um, yeah, it's only us two as like the crew. Yeah, wow. we, we try to go in every single place completely alone so that there's no element of other people involved and no one else can say that, hey, the, that it could be a producer, that could be another cameraman or something. It like was that. perfect timing, too. It was like the door was wide open the entire time <laughs> I was asking questions. I asked that one specifically. Slams right behind me. How do you recover from that, though? Because like all I would be thinking about is what is that? Is it coming for me? How can I sleep at night? 
Yeah, well, I mean, it's um, something that we like to call the paranormal hangover, where it takes Ooh. like two or three days afterwards to kind of get back to normal. And we have to watch like a bunch of happy YouTube videos <laughs> to get back <laughs> in a good mood. Really? It's kinda, it, gets it gets bad, but... What's the happy YouTube videos you guys watch? God, oh man, for me, you know, I always love watching PewDiePie. Okay. Oh, yeah. He's my You don't watch guy. the little cat videos? <laughs> Sometimes the cat videos pop up, but we don't need to talk about that. Right? <laughs> no, but truly, like, it's it's scary, especially when we first started this. We've been doing this for four or five years now, and so it gets a little easier over time, just like a scary roller coaster. Mm -hmm. But the first couple times we did this, it was so shocking that we'd just have long conversations for hours and be like, what do we actually experience? This is like questioning our religion, questioning what we're going to be talking to, like, our kids about one day. Like, this is scary stuff and it genuinely affects us did you go into this believing in it no we're not, very not skeptical yeah. really we, did, very, very we skeptical. did it because we didn't believe we're like all right like we can go into these haunted places and not be scared because like yeah it's not real and then stuff was happening and then more stuff was happening and then we we're like we can't keep chalking this up to coincidence this is insane that's so scary. how do you know when to film certain things or when to break out certain pieces of equipment or is that just fortunate timing that is a lot of fortunate timing and also a lot of the the editing style. We just film like as much as we possibly can. Mm. We try to keep cameras on whenever we go into new rooms and we try to keep even like cameras in other rooms while we're not there just to try to capture as much as possible. Um, but yeah, there are definitely times that you hear something in person that you don't get on cam camera and then you're like, kicking yourself. There's like, also oh, no. like a million different things you can do to like ask out if there's ghosts and or like... For example, there's just like 20 different pieces of ghost equipment that you can get online. And a lot of the stuff Sam and I haven't even tried out yet. So a lot of the episodes were just trying new things. And again, we're trying to figure it out ourselves. Yes, we have evidence. Yes, we believe. But like we haven't seen somebody levitate in front of our eyes or something like that. There's not like any concrete 100 percent evidence. Yeah. So speaking of that, if you're so evidence based, I'm assuming you don't believe in uh, <laughs> ghosts. I, I would I would introduce myself as agnostic. OK. I Meaning see. like I don't think I'm smart enough to know if there are ghosts because I don't have the evidence to prove that they exist or they don't exist. Mm -hmm. So I'm skeptically agnostic. And would that be the same in terms of religion, too? More agnostic? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Totally. Because. I try and live in the practical world as much as possible because it allows me to be my best self for my patients. Mm -hmm. And even when making YouTube content in order to figure out what's the best way to explain something to somebody or get them excited about their health. Yeah. So if I start venturing into that space, I can really cause a lot of problems for people. That makes of course, sense, yeah. About, and I'm sure you guys have seen this uh, like on social media. Oh, if you prick your finger here, your sore throat will go away. Mm -hmm. Or if you have this condition, if you just take my miracle potion for $7.99. Yeah, uh, everyone's yeah. trying to sell yes. something on you. It makes sense. Sure. Yeah. Have you guys seen that actually? I'm curious in, the, in your world online. Because uh, everyone has different for the, you pages. No, maybe not in the paranormal like world, but I've seen a bunch so. of people being like, oh, you know, you don't need to go to a doctor. You can just do this or, you know, drink from this beautiful lake or something. It'll be fine. <laughs> exactly. So. It's incredible how dangerous and problematic that is. And most people think it's dangerous because it's taking away people's money and it's being unfair and it's rude. All of that is true. But there is actual legitimate danger to having people not get themselves diagnosed and have things get worse. Mm -hmm. For sure, yeah. Where they actually did a study uh, in 2017 to see if individuals who were going down the alternative medicine pathway 
as opposed to conventional cancer treatment for their cancers, which people died at a higher rate? Those people who went alternative medicine instead of conventional died at a higher rate, had a higher risk of dying. Interesting. Dang. I mean, it makes sense, of course. Like, well, it does, but not if you're listening to their magical advice because they're saying this will make mm, you live forever. Well, it true. just is comes down to why are people believing yeah. the alternative stuff? And why it's like, do you think people believe it? I mean, people are getting fantastic at marketing. That's true. <laughs> and it's like social media is so prevalent and sometimes people like in the medical field are not as prevalent as some of these other master sure. Or marketers. like other doctors don't really care about their credibility and if they there's money involved in a brand sure. deal to promote something that's not legitimate, they'll still do it and that yeah. will influence a lot of people. Those are absolutely two valid reasons. I have a different theory than both of you. Okay. I think it's because our healthcare system sucks so much <laughs> that it's turned people off of regular medicine. And instead of going to see a doctor where they're staring at a computer screen, they're burnt out, you have only 10 minutes with them, they push you a pill, you'd rather go see the caring, compassionate, kind person who's alternative for an hour and buy into their natural approach. Right. I agree. That makes <laughs> sense. We, we've come to that conclusion. Yeah, we have really? a lot to say about that. Yeah. yeah oh, no. what do you have to say about that? Well, I mean, it's just been very, very hard to contact my doctor. I have multiple doctors I've been talking to, including an oncologist. Um, and it takes two or three days minimum to contact them via the patient portal online. Sure. I understand doctors are busy and everything, but even calling them, you have to wait for your doctor to call you. Yeah. It's not like, well, for me, at least I was having to wait with like a 45 minute like voice answering machine before I was even able to connect to the front office to maybe talk to my doctor. Yeah. Like it was just a lot harder for patients to get the answers they're looking for, especially with like a serious condition. Yeah, I would cancer. say like looking at the process that's been happening over the past couple of months, like more than half the anxiety is caused by not being able to have any sort of communication yeah. with yeah. anybody in healthcare. It's like, I'm so frustrated for you. So I can't even imagine the thought process going through everything, just trying to get through healthcare. It's and again, I'm, I'm not like, I, I know doctors are busy in general. And so I'm sure they have like a million patients each and it's hard to like keep track of and stuff. It's just voicing our frustration of how long it takes to get information back when it's, Life or death, like you talking about. Or Absolutely. Scheduling too. Like, yeah, scheduling. Like months and months of like, wait, what? This is going to take how long? <laughs> yeah, and not like going too far ahead of the, the story here. Um, but like, for example, we had to expedite my surgery. Like we were able to do that ourselves. I had somebody on our, on our team just call around um, to like the Mayo Clinic in UCLA. Mm -hmm. um, and they were able to schedule my orchiectomy way faster. Like... Um, like I think three days faster than the intended like surgery. Yeah. Like interesting. So uh, it sounds like you agree with my theory <laughs> yeah, that because yeah. it sucks so much, it's easy to fall victim to someone who's preying on your insecurities and your fears and giving you false hope. And exactly. then the second layer of it is if you go see your doctor and your doctor is like, look, you got to put in real work. You got to improve discipline with uh, lifestyle habits drop the smoking, drop the drinking, sleep better, mm -hmm. uh, increase the amount of fruits and vegetables you're eating. These are things that take work, right? right. And then this other person's like, but I got a potion. <laughs> like, <laughs> Drink this though. Right? Magic pill. Yeah, like, here who, you go. who would choose putting in all that work when there's a magic solution? Exactly. Yeah, taking the easy, easier. easy route, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For sure. And yeah. what actually paralyzes me 
as a physician in order to debunk some of this stuff is that we brought up the conversation of evidence-based medicine, which is if I'm making a decision on when to give someone uh, a blood transfusion, right? Because they're, they're anemic, let's say. I know when to give that blood transfusion because we've done the research to say at this level, it doesn't really benefit their survival. At this level, it really does. Mm -hmm. So we know that's the cutoff we can give it. Then we can have different situations. The person's actively bleeding, all these other factors. But we have evidence guiding us, yeah. right? Makes sense. I can say, I have the evidence for this. But what I cannot say is, uh, so it, let's say a miracle claim is made. This will cure whatever problem you're having, right? Mm -hmm. I can then say there is no evidence to say that that's going on. But I cannot say this definitely does not work. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see. Yeah. Because I would need to research yeah. and prove <laughs> you that this doesn't work. You need evidence for that. Yes. Jeez, yeah. Makes sense. So it's a good so, argument. <laughs> it's so hard because what the conversation ends up becoming is the magical snake oil salesman ends up saying, this magic potion works. And I say, there's no evidence it works. And they say back, there's no evidence it doesn't work. Yeah. Right. <laughs> marketing like, 101 right there. And I'm like, but it's on you to prove it yeah. works. Yeah. You have to prove something works before you make an outrageous claim. Mm -hmm. So that's the constant battle I'm always facing of when can I cross that line of saying, nah, I don't even care that I don't have evidence that this doesn't work. I'm still going to say it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, is there legal impl implications for that? Like, why couldn't you just say that doesn't work? And I, I know it it's like an it's ethical like, thing more than anything. Yeah. Um, and you just want to not be hypocritical because if you're saying you need evidence to say something, you need to keep it across the board. Yeah, oh, that makes understandable. Sense. Uh, the, the place where I like to go with it is there's no even reasonable explanation why this could work. And that's what makes me shit on it. Yeah. So I'm like, dude, pricking your finger here has no reasonable way to affect your throat. This is not connected to this in any reasonable way. Why this point over this point? And if you have no explanation for it to me, it's bullshit. Mm -hmm. That's how I approach it. I approach like systematically, like how can this possibly work? Mm -hmm. And that's why I look at ghost hunting stuff and I'm like, I can't even figure out how this works. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you it, can't explain why it doesn't work. That's also like wh why we go into it so often, like bringing people that, you know, don't believe because it's so interesting because like for us, we're like, oh, we don't really know how to prove it unless you experience it yourself. Exactly. And so that's pretty much the only. So are way. you saying you could take me to an abandoned hospital and prove to me that this exists? Not any abandoned hospital, but <laughs> some, some, some of them for sure. Really? <laughs> yeah. I oh mean, yeah, we've, for sure. We've taken many, many people who are, like complete skeptics and they go in and be like, well, dang, I didn't think of it like this. Before. Yeah. Wow. When we first started this in like 2019, it was mostly about like Sam and I and a couple of other friends just experiencing everything together. But now we're really trying to take new guests every single time that a lot of them, like Sam was saying, completely are skeptical, do not believe at all. And they experience more than us. Like wow. they're the ones Is that, that because it's in their heads more? You can say that Maybe, some people think, but like, uh, like you were just saying, it's like they can't prove that it's not real type exactly. thing because there's just no explanation for how that door slammed or how someone talked in their ear, but there was no one else in the room with them. It's like they know probably they're like in their in their mind, they want to find a solution or some logical answer, but they can't. And so it's not technically proven, but it's also like they, they couldn't prove it if they tried. Wow. That's so scary. I wouldn't even know what to do in a situation like that. I think I would fully break down. <laughs> I actually did the first time really? I experienced a, uh, a paranormal <laughs> we thing. We both cried on camera. I was like, like, absolutely do the paranormal. just 
Yeah. Is bad. Fear or unknown what was driving that emotion. Your your entire worldview breaks down. And then then looking forward, you don't know what to expect anymore mm-hmm. uh, because whatever you had thought previously is now altered. And so the way you, I just looked at life post-paranormal experience was like, wait, this is, could be completely different than whatever mm-hmm. I thought before. Especially somebody who's like agnostic, um, believing or seeing something that like changes your belief system even like your religion yeah like crazy. at the at the point of this like we said we weren't really believers uh i was pretty much not religious at all i was like at this point where i was like okay i just you know i can't find a realistic explanation why this is real and so after this first paranormal experience i was like wait, wait. maybe it could <laughs> and like should i become religious again like oh my yeah. god like, like everything changed you know so how does it change your day-to-day life now that you are aware that this could be a possibility and a reality I don't know if it changes it too much, but I mean, it depends on from person to person. Like we were saying, there's like a paranormal hangover that usually lasts for like two or three days. Like, especially if we go to a super intense location, like the conjuring house, for example, that will be like a week paranormal hangover where we just have to, you know, get back to acting normal and stuff, live a normal life. But what about spirituality wise or religious wise? I think it gives us hope. You know, okay. yeah. like that's the main reason why we do this. And we always like tell like all of like our supporters this, like the reason why we're trying to prove it is because it gave us hope and it gave me hope, hope in of, what like, way? of like something more. It's like, if you think that, you know, at the end of your life, you're just going to get buried and thrown on the ground and it's over with, mm-hmm. that's like kind of a sad thought. Mm-hmm. But if there's that mind that maybe there possibly is something else out there, or there's mm-hmm. different types of energies or, you know, humans are not the only thing in this entire universe. It's kind of like inspiring yeah and no matter what you believe in too like you can put that concept to any sort of religion and sure it just helps it just helps to know there's something more i think that there is power in understanding that we're smaller than everything else around us it kind of takes some of the weight off your shoulders um when we look at the universe and we see how our understanding of the universe has changed over the last 100 200 years Mm -hmm. Every time we make a scientific discovery, it sounds fake when we initially make the scientific yeah. discovery. Yeah. <laughs> like if someone holds up and they're like, I have the cure for the bacteria that is within us. Someone's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. This is bullshit. And then it turns right. out to be revolutionary. Exactly. Or the vaccine comes out and it's revolutionary. And then on the other hand, we could see how badly it could be weaponized with the people giving false hope. Exactly. Mm. So the only way I can figure out what's the fair way of doing it is... What's the intention and what's the evidence behind it? Right. Mm-hmm. That's how I think about it as a doctor. But I would love if you guys take me to uh actually I wouldn't love, but I think <laughs> people like, I would love. <laughs> people would love. I'd hate it. Well, come with us if you well, want. Well, because it's scary. I, I get legitimately scared of the dark. I'm one of those fear of the unknown type people. Heights scare me. I'm very sensitive. I mm-hmm. fight people for a living. <laughs> I was gonna say, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't punch a ghost. You could try. You could try. That <laughs> would be, that would be a really <laughs> funny video. <laughs> because it's like when you're in a ring against somebody, you see the threat. Right. Mm. You can assess the threat. You can make peace with the threat. Mm-hmm. But when the threat is all around you, it's whispering in your ear, it's closing doors. It's like, what else is it doing to me? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you, yeah, no you don't know how powerful or, or what it could do to you or where it's at or even how, how it could affect you. Exactly. What's the wildest story you've heard from someone else that you've met along this journey that they've experienced some kind of paranormal stuff? 
with us specifically? No, with like on Ooh. their own that they've shared a story with you. Oh my gosh. Oh, wow. There's so many of I'm sure, things. but like which one is uh, I mean, Oh, this is really powerful. That first came to mind is our friend Selena, Selena mm-hmm. Spooky Boo. Yeah. She she has like some crazy psychic ability where she can dream and even if she like spends time just collecting her thoughts and kind of goes into a trance, she can like almost envision things happening around her that are somehow constantly true. Like she <laughs> It's, it's like insane. like we didn't believe it at first. We were like, "Whoa, this is, this like is crazy!" Thing. But yeah. she was able to predict everything that happened in one of our videos. Yeah, like she called us. She was just like, "Sam Cole, you gotta like be careful. This is gonna happen. This is gonna happen. You're gonna be running through a forest, like going in between these specific trees. That how would she know in a forest what they look like? Everything she said was very true. She's on the opposite side of a country. Yeah, so like, and she had never been to this place before. So it's it's and she knew. She yeah. knew. She knew. Now that's maybe not like paranormal well, I mean sense, that's not medically explainable yeah exactly, exactly. there's Psychic. there's been people like uh who has told us maybe in uh, this asylum we went to one guy uh we do a couple of videos with he said he like completely uh like passed out um like that's what he thought and he woke up but in reality he had been awake for like four or five hours like having these like weird out-of-body like like dissociation. Yeah, kind of. But like, yeah, he didn't remember any of it. But all of his friends were saying you were acting like a different person that you had never like acted like forever and like asking for things that you would never ask for and be like Bl- a different blackout. Person. Like and he then, was blackout drunk. Yeah, but, but then, sober. Yeah, but sober. But completely sober. And he's never had that since. And it was just like a one time occurrence in his entire life. And he can't recall anything that happened. It's like all of his friends saying this happened. So he thinks like you know as much as we wouldn't believe in like possession. He believes like that, like he was just a different person for a couple hours. All right, I'm reconsidering wanting to go. <laughs> Can you imagine if you guys take me somewhere, I get possessed, and then I become a worse doctor for my condition? Oh, no. like, that's no a legitimate fear I would yeah, have. Right? I don't know. Just become a different person. Oh, but maybe I go and I become a better fighter. There you go. So there could be an upside. Channel that boxing. <laughs> you, know? you know what's crazy is after my whole situation happened, yeah. there were people saying, and I'm not saying we believe this at all, but just kind of interesting. People were blaming our videos on my cancer. What in what set? Like I can't even. Like, for example, okay, so there's this haunted doll in Key West, Florida. It's, his name is Robert the Doll, and he specifically, if you disrespect him or stare him in the eyes or take pictures, which we did, all of those. <laughs> Uh, he gives you cancer. That's like the the story oh of it. God. And I was diagnosed with testicular cancer not only like two months later. Two because months of later. Robert. That's what people say. I'm not going to yeah. say that. I don't want to put that narrative out there. Who owns there. Robert? Uh, the, museum. the museum now. Can yeah. we sue? Yeah. We should. <laughs> it's their <laughs> fault. Get that money. <laughs> no, it's interesting though. No, no. I mean... Okay, so medically, I don't know what to say. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's probably no, no explanation at <laughs> yeah, all for no, that. No, I'm just saying. It's okay. just interesting. What I am curious about is how did hearing that make you feel? Um, I mean, I obviously didn't believe it, of course. I I don't know. I, I like just kind of shrugged it off and was just like, there's no way. And just moved on with my day, okay. really. Well, I don't know. Like, I, I would kind of feel probably mad if I'm putting myself in your shoes because I'm like, dude, this is an unfortunate thing that's happened to me and you're blaming my work on it. Right, right. I don't know, maybe I'm putting... And I mean, there was a lot of people in the comments that were defending me for that. I just was saying like, hey, you can create whatever narrative in your head that you want to 
think makes sense. Sure. Like, okay, I'm going to say it's just because I got unlucky. And testicular cancer is very common for young men anyways, yeah. like between, I think, like 20 to 35. Yeah. Um, so I was just like, it was, it was just, you know, an unlucky thing that happened. Yeah. Is uh, most cancer just completely like random or are there a series of this events? This is so that you bad do? because I thought you were about to ask me, are most cancers caused by Robert the dog? I mean, oh. yeah. <laughs> like, could you tell us that? <laughs> No, um, are they completely <laughs> random? There's a mix between uh, spontaneous mutations that can cause random mutations in DNA that give rise to cancer. And then there are some that are passed along genetically that you can develop, have a higher risk of developing cancer. Mm, so there's okay. both. Uh, mm. It's not one or the other. It's almost like the nature versus nurture argument. Yeah. Okay. But in this case, we have definite proof of both. Oh. Because there's certain cancers, like for example, colon cancer, we now recommend starting screening with a colonoscopy at age 45. Okay. But if you have a first degree relative who has colon cancer, you start your screening 10 years prior to their diagnose, age at diagnosis. I see. So like, let's say your dad had colon cancer at age 30. At age 20, we start screening you. Mm. I see. Because yes. that raises your risk substantially. But that's not for every cancer because some cancers are sporadic and have no family connection at all. Testicular cancer. Does that is that going to be something my kids should worry about? Um, well, my... To be Sons. honest, I don't know. We could probably look that up. Okay. Um, I think it's good for the audience right now to sort of lay out exactly why we're talking about cancer so much. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> to sense. start, tell your story. How did uh, how did that whole process start up for you? Yeah. Well, it's actually been kind of a shorter journey than expected. I started noticing some pain in November. Mm -hmm. um, it was actually the first memory I have of noticing some pain was when we were shooting a video. We were shooting this lighthouse paranormal video where we had to walk a bunch of stairs like four or five times 300 feet in the sky and i remember looking at sam on like the third or fourth round of going up the stairs and being like dude it feels like my ball is in pain like it feels like a slight bruise were you thinking ghost <laughs> at that point <laughs> no but oh my god thinking, like yeah like i actually slammed it with a camera or something ah, like, that. like smacked it or something but it was just yeah my left testicle and it was like very slight it wasn't even that bad it was just Going upstairs, moving like, a, like my legs ache. a certain way. Yeah, like yeah. a very dull ache. Um, but then I would relax and it would completely go away. Like a week later, I was completely fine. But I noticed with like a bunch of strenuous activity, like I've been trying to go on hikes a lot recently and Sam and I have uh, picked up pickleball okay. in Vegas. Oh, yeah. nice. And I noticed being on my feet all day, it would flare up a little bit, mm. get worse, which I thought was just inflammation at first. Um, and then, so I'd relax for a few days and it would go down or if I had sex or if I masturbated the next day, it would flare up really bad. And then I would relax and it would go down. And so that would just repeat. And that cycle went over until about like January 15th, where it flared up really bad, um, one day. And it finally made me uh, pick up the phone and call the doctor. Cause yeah, symptoms were, it was at this point when it would flare up, it was swollen, um, there was a pain that was now starting in my lower left pelvis. It was like by my waistband. Mm -hmm. um, and it was like this throbbing pain, almost like a cramp, cramping pain when I would sit down. And it like after it would flare up for the first day to like three days, it would be even hard to stand up. Mm. It was that bad. But again, then I would relax for a few days and it would go down completely. Sure. The only thing that I noticed that every single time it would go down after the few days of rest is each time, because again, this cycle kind of happened like two or three times before I called a doctor, um, was it would, the swelling would shrink down, but 
my testicle itself would be larger and more firm mm. and like it looked asymmetrical in Got my it. sack. It was like weighing down. More so than usual. Yeah, and okay. each time would get a little bit worse. Got and it. I would notice that, but like, again, the pain would go away. Mm -hmm. It just, at that point I was like feeling down there and trying to figure out what was going on. It was definitely firm. In November, it was very slight. Mm -hmm. And so that was like the early, in my opinion, stage of it or whatever. Um, but December and January, there was everything like affecting sure. it. Like you could tell, and there was some swelling and I knew, I thought I had something called acute epididymitis. Yes. Um, but so it was January 25th, I believe I went to the doctor just for a general checkup. I hadn't been to a doctor in like eight years, my man. Okay. Um, but <laughs> oops, <laughs> oops, but I went. I mean, and that also doesn't mean you would have caught it earlier. Right. Cause like, for example, if you're not, uh, having an issue with that area, I might not do a testicular exam. It depends right. on what you're coming in for. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And the, and there was like a stigma where like at first I was like embarrassed because it was, it was like down there and I was like, maybe I should like wait for a little bit. And that's probably why I waited for like a good month and a half before actually going in before it got super bad. But did you feel comfortable sharing all that with Sam? I actually don't think I told Sam until after my doctor's appointment. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah. I think he told me. The uh, pain maybe. It, yeah. The pain end of like December when it was like your second time of like actually having a bad yeah. you were like there's something weird like I don't know maybe I should chill out or something I was just playing it down I was just like oh I think I just like hit it like it just feels weird but that's it but low-key I knew like after all day it'd be like very swollen but sure. I didn't go into detail with Sam about that so anyways again like I told the doctor there was something wrong going on down there and he did an exam and told me like something was wrong, obviously, and said like, I think you have acute epididymitis. You should go see a radiologist in the next month. And so I decided to be proactive about it and go see one the next morning. And I'm so lucky I did. Wait, he wanted you to see a radiologist? Yes. Why a radiologist? So they do ultrasounds, they do all the CT scans, uh, MRIs. I see what you mean. Okay, so he it's, wanted to order imaging. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. And he gave me shots for like STDs to be safe. Like I got like that gonorrhea shot in like my ass. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> like, no, no. They, it's, it so was interesting. It's, it's random. And a little bit, sorry, tell your story and then I'll tell you my medical feedback on it. Go okay, ahead. okay. Yeah. They were doing it, I guess, just for caution. But anyway. Sure. Um, so I went to the radiologist. They did an ultrasound on my sack, which was great. Um, which is like <laughs> the primary thing we do in a lot of these scenarios. Yeah. Because we don't have, not x-ray vision, but like see-through vision with our hands. We can see something's abnormal. We can see that there's a spot area of pain. But in order to visualize exactly what we're looking at, the ultrasound helps guide that. Right, and I'm lucky that he told me to go to a radiologist, but I'm even luckier that I decided to go the next morning because- Why did he schedule it a month? I'm just curious. Well, he'd never even scheduled it. He oh. was just like, you should just go within this next month. You can go to this radiology place down the street. And it was my decision to, I didn't even drive home. I drove straight to the radiologist, to the front desk so I could talk to a human and not yeah. go on phone calls and stuff. And um I just got so lucky and they were just like, we actually just had a free spot the next morning oh, wow. at okay. 8 a.m. So it was right in the morning the next day and um, did the whole ultras ultrasound and everything. And Sam and I were in a meeting and I got a call from an unknown number. And so I just like hung up. I didn't think sure. anything about it, but I, like ghost. Yeah, I was like, yeah, that's probably yeah. just a ghost calling me. Whatever. <laughs> but uh, I was like looking at my voicemail and I noticed like, you can see like the transcript yeah. pop, pop up and I, uh, saw like, hello, it's like your doctor. Like, I need you to call me back ASAP. It's very oh. serious. And I was like, 
Okay, that doesn't give me any anxiety, of course. the worst message like, you could possibly get from a doctor. And so I was trying to keep my cool during this meeting, just like only thinking about that. Um, and then as soon as the meeting was over, I went downstairs and I called my doctor and he said that the radiologist said that I had a mass in my ball that was 95% likely to be cancer. Mm -hmm. And, um, that was like when my first, like, like obviously my heart dropped at that moment. Um, and he told me immediately on the phone call, he was just like, don't worry, like it's very curable. Um, usually you just have to get a surgery and that's that, but I need you to come to the office right away. And so I remember just going straight to my bathroom, looking at myself in the mirror and being like, all right, like it is what it is. Don't freak out. Like you got this. And just kind of talking to myself, giving myself a pep talk. And I didn't even tell Sam, I just started driving and then I called Sam, I remember, mm -hmm. and let you know what was going on as I was driving to the doctor's office. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, at the doctor's, they obviously reassured me again. They were just like, it does look like it, it's cancer, but it seems like we caught it early. So we just need you to get the surgery as soon as possible and then you should be fine. So they said the next steps are go right now to get some blood work done where they test something called your tumor markers, your AFP HCG. Mm -hmm. um, and if those are high elevated, then it means there's a tumor present. Um, and so went, got the blood work done and met up with Sam actually, he drove out um, to, we went to like a Walgreens or something to get the blood work. So he drove out all the way to Walgreens, like gave Which, each other hugs and talked about it. That was the first time I saw him or saw anybody besides my doctor since hearing about yeah. it. Which was really, really scary because I don't, obviously I don't know what all they, they do at their blood work center, but they were telling you some scary things like, oh wait, you have cancer. Are you prepared yeah. to not have kids? Like this could be like life or death. And it was just scaring Colby for no reason. Well, you know, what's all. interesting. And I was wanting to ask you about this as well is, um, they, <laughs> they asked me, they were just like, no offense, no offense. Like, we're not saying you look like this at all or whatever, like, or trying to make any assumptions. They were just like, were you a female at one point of your life? And I was like, no, what? Like almost taken aback. Like, what the hell are they talking about? And they said, we needed to test for your HCG, which is found in pregnant women. And so they didn't even uh, understand. understand okay. They didn't get that. Like it was also like a tumor cancer Marker, thing. Yeah. So and, uh, let me just jump in there because we need to give a little feedback from what happens in those situations yeah. that I think potentially destroys everyone's experience with the healthcare system. And it's when people that are within the healthcare system that are not experts in the field start giving you opinions and thoughts as to what's going on. And it's sometimes being helpful because they're thinking outside the box. And sometimes it's fully inaccurate, fully fear-mongering based, and I have no idea how to approach it as a doctor because I don't want someone telling you things about beta HCG that they don't even know why I'm ordering the test. Mm -hmm. And they're like dissuading you almost from doing it or scaring you and telling you that th this is gonna affect your life in a certain way when they have no idea what the statistics are or what kind of cancer you have, all these things. So I actually struggle with this a lot and I see that happen where I make a diagnosis with a, to a patient. I ask them if they have any questions. They say no. Let's say this is in an ER setting. I walk out. Then someone walks in who's helping transport them, et cetera. Then they ask that person because they came up with a question. And then that person starts answering based on no expertise in the subject and it becomes a disaster. So I have yeah. no idea how to fix that. And it was interesting because then afterwards they were like, 
they were being very sweet and i don't mean to like knock these nurses at all but like they were just kind of like oh well be thankful for every day like be thankful that you're here man just wake up and pray like every day and i, I was, was like, like what are you, are you telling him he's gonna die yeah, in two days it was like, like are you making my me? anxiety just like times 10 pretty much because my doctor just told me oh you'll be fine with just the surgery then this lady's like yeah wake up and pray like you should be thankful you're here i mean that's not bad advice but i understand why it's anxiety provoking yeah Yeah, he he was like don't tell your family or anybody yet just like you know make sure you figure it out before i was like what like in this in this crazy time i feel like you should try to get as much support as you can exactly your family and friends for sure yeah i told or yeah she told me specifically she was like because i made a joke i was like well Guess I go call, gotta call my mom now as I was walking yeah. out. And uh, she was just like, don't do that. That's just gonna like freak her out. Like you should wait until you're 100% sure. Wait till these blood um, results come back and everything. And I but called- But that's so isolated. I called my mom when I got in the car. Yeah. <laughs> so she was the first person I called like five minutes later. And then, yeah, the next steps were um, getting a urology appointment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then honestly, I kind of felt like that was- pointless if i'm being completely real sure um because all they did was i had to fill out a bunch of paperwork i went into the office they checked in they were just like yeah you need to get it taken out but apparently the urologist was the one that could help me schedule the orchiectomy yep and so not like the actual doctor and so i needed to have that step um but what was interesting is the urologist that i saw in vegas had scheduled me out for an orchiectomy like I think I was saying like two weeks later. Maybe even um, like three weeks. It was like end of February and you found out in like the beginning of February. Yeah. That was crazy. Two to three weeks later. And um my like I was saying, my one of my team members, I was telling him about the situation, of course, he just called around to like the Mayo Clinic and UCLA and got me um like one of the best referrals ever with like one of the most reputable testicular specifically cancer uh doctors or like urologists out there and once i got a virtual appointment with him he was able to get me in like four days later it was super quick mm-hmm. um and so all, all basically i'm saying that because like my team and if we didn't try hard we wouldn't have like and have resources it. to travel and do all these exactly things. yeah yeah you need people that are as well. also yes. you know sometimes being a single parent and having two jobs right. in the middle right. of all this so it's like a lot of things align very well. So I'm exactly. happy that, that happened for you. I got so lucky, but just to give you a timeline, I, on January 25th, went to the doctor's appointment mm-hmm. and February 6th, I got yeah, the surgery. 12 days. Yeah, yeah. literally, yeah. literally. So. But think about that. If you went to that doctor's appointment, he said, get the radiologist like appointment month, within yeah. a month. Then after that, your urologist would have been, you know, two, three weeks later. Then if you would have listened to that guy and got a surgery in Vegas, which would be ideal for most people being in the same yeah. area, that could have also been a month. You probably would not even have your surgery yet to this day yeah. if you stayed in the same system that you were going to go. And like with the type of cancer that I had too, which we can get into in a second, yeah. but um like it was rapid there was a part of it that was like rapidly growing and who knows if it could have developed into a stage two sort of a cancer if i did wait till now to just get my surgery it's just scary stuff very um but i can go into the surgery if you want or i could keep going let's 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 take a pause so then i can sort of translate of how ideally this should go and why certain paths were chosen versus others because i think it's an important learning situation yeah so ideally, uh, this is in a world where we know that someone already has testicular cancer. So we're kind of 
being Monday morning quarterback, but I'm explaining how it should go. Mm -hmm. A patient would come in with testicular pain. Let's say they come into my office, young person. Obviously, testicular cancer would be uh, part of my differential diagnosis, which is one of the options that I could diagnose the patient with simply because of their age and because that there is some kind of growth in the area. We also know, as you said, testicular cancer happens most commonly in those age 20 to their 30s. Um, and then it, what's interesting about it is it also happens in those age 60 plus. So it kind of has two spikes in life. The highest spike is early in life and the second spike is later in life. It usually doesn't happen midlife for people. We don't even really know why. And the types of testicular cancers change with the age. Like usually the ones later in life tend to be less invasive, less problematic. The, the, the ones that happen earlier in life are the ones that have some potential for growth. Um, so a patient comes in with testicular pain. Right away, I have to rule out, is this a traumatic situation? Is this an infectious situation? Or is this a cancer situation? Um, your doctor seemed to diagnose you with all... <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Of the above at the same time. There's ways where we can start making diagnoses or narrowing down our list of diagnoses so that we don't have to give you all the treatments like antibiotics for potential STIs when I could test them in the office and get you a result in 24 hours where I don't have to then expose you to antibiotics unnecessarily. Mm -hmm. So that's like one step that could have been skipped. Uh, if you're having pain that is acute right now, for example, like let's say you came into my office right now, you're like, it hurts really bad. And mm -hmm. I press on the area and it hurts. I'm sending you for an ultrasound in that moment. Wow. Not for the fear of cancer, but for the fear of a condition known as testicular torsion, where the testicle can actually malrotate yeah. and cut off circulation to it, which is a surgical emergency because the testicle is actively dying. Mm. And that kind of can happen on its own for like without a real true explanation. So I'm sending, like if you came in, you're like, my testicle hurts and it hurts right now, you're getting an ultrasound that day, not wow. in a month. That's insane. <laughs> That's insane, yeah. Just for that reason. And we would have then seen a mass and then gotten the information earlier. So that's something that would have changed in the process. Hmm. Um, and then once we would have gotten the report of this ultrasound, uh, we would have seen that there's some kind of unknown mass. You would then come back to my office. I would explain to you the thing that we just said, that testicular cancer happens at your age group, 95% survival rate, five years. So it's a very treatable cancer with surgery. Uh, there are some instances where we do chemotherapy or radiation therapy, depending on the type of cancer it is. And uh, testicular cancer really falls into uh, two categories, and then they can be subdivided even further. But one is a germ cell tumor, which is the type of cells that make your sperm. And then the stromal type tumor, which is the hormonal supportive tissue of the testicle, that can have a tumor. Mm. Then the germ cell tumor can be further divided into seminoma and non-seminoma. And then to make it even more confusing, there's mixed types and all these other things. And yeah. those are all minutiae that we can talk about once we get your diagnosis, because you actually sent me your records yes. <laughs> to talk about more accurately here on the show. Uh-huh. So each one has different survival rates, different treatments, and that's all a conversation that needs to happen with your oncologist. Right. So, so far, the biggest thing that happened was very messy in the beginning stages of the diagnosis. Very, yes. A lot of anxiety, mm -hmm. a lot of worry. And I'm curious, obviously, how you took it, but you're in the situation, you're making the decisions, your best friend, 
Sam, how are you handling that call as a caregiver for your friend, as a supporter of your friend emotionally? What What's your thoughts on this process? Are you Googling right away? What's the first thing you do? Yeah, I mean, I saw him say, like, you know, back at this meeting when he first got his call, he's like, I got to go take this. And I knew it was from his doctor. I was like, my heart dropped with him as he was going. But I was like, okay, I'm not on this call. And then like, as soon as he's like, I'm going to run out in the car, like call me ASAP, called him. And then obviously as soon as he say, hey, I have this thing that's like 95% cancerous. Obviously both of our hearts are dropping at that moment. Uh, and like obviously every single thought imaginable was happening at that moment. It's just kind of like, what's going to happen? But at that moment I was like, okay, like two things. I can either freak out or I can be as like straight up as possible and try to make this as calm as possible. Cause I know in his mind, he's probably freaking out. And so I was like, okay, we got this no matter what happens. We'll just take, take it one step at a time. We've done everything in our career up until this moment, one step at a time together and we'll just make it happen. And you know, if there's anybody in this world that can travel around and make a million calls and drop everything and push everything for work, it's us. So let's make it happen and we'll figure it out. Uh, and so that's kind of how it happened, which he kind of touched on a little bit, but I want to just give props a hundred percent to Colby for taking this as the most strong I've ever seen anybody do this. It wasn't like even bad of an eye. He was on the same phone call. He was telling me he had cancer. He was like, I got this. Let's just make it happen. We'll take one step at a time and we'll get through this. I'm not going to die. Let's make it happen. So I was like, whoa, all right. I got to be exactly <laughs> like that ten tenfold <laughs> so like nothing wrong happens. Uh, and so that full day was like definitely the scariest because at that point, like obviously I had no idea anything about this and even lesser known than what he had known because he'd gotten the call from the doctor. So I, I was thinking, like, oh, God, like this could, you know, this changes everything. Like maybe like this is cancer we're talking about. When anybody throws out that word, it's like you immediately think of the worst case scenario. And so it's like one, just how fragile is life? And then two, like, like, Oh my God, I can't believe like everything ever gets put aside for health. And so when those health scares, especially something as serious as cancer rolls around, like you, you it truly like hits you like a ton of bricks saying like, Oh God, what am I, what am I valuing? Uh, so luckily one uh, one day later, we called my sister, who actually is an oncologist, oh, wow. which is awesome. And Perfect. we were able to have her talk us through the process. And her first thought was, hey, just FYI, testicular cancer is like 95% curable. And if you're in stage one, it's like 99% curable. Uh, and so that was just the utmost sigh of relief at that point. Because up until that, those 24 hours, we were thinking worst case scenario. Sure. Yeah. Wow, that's so powerful that you uh, actually had to strengthen up to match Colby's resilience. <laughs> he's insane. In the moment. I mean, throughout this whole thing, he's like, you know what? I could wait. Now I'm going to do it myself. It's like he's he's just done everything in his whole power to be like strong and be like, no, nah, like I don't want to like, you know, shy away from this. I want to tell everybody, inspire people. I want to get this done as fast as humanly possible, whatever I need to do. And I think everybody has taken that as like a learning, like, oh my God, like we should all do crazy, like crazy experiences and especially traumatic experiences. You can either back down and shy away from, or you can take headstrong. And he's taken that 
like to the fullest extent and it's awesome thank you for yeah. saying that yeah i mean my take on it was did you know he felt that way you've told me before but not to that extent so thank you for saying that of course but uh yeah i mean i was just for myself making jokes about it and trying to say positive and i think the main thing in my head is i just said it is what it is like it already happened. Why would I be upset about something that is literally inside of me as we speak? Like it doesn't do anything to sit down and cry about it or worry about it. It just makes things worse, if anything. So I was just kind of yeah on game mode where I just was like, what can I do? And we're just so fortunate to be in the position that we are, that we can travel and, and have a team that can help call and stuff like that, that it was more like, all right, game plan. This happened, I'm gonna survive. That was my biggest fears were death and infertility. Mm. Those were my two things. And so after researching and talking to Allison, shout out his sister, oncologist, um, we realized that like both of those were going to be okay. You can bank your sperm if you need to. Um, and again, 99% like survival rate if caught early. And so it was just kind of like a Okay, now step by step, what do we need to do? And I think the major thing was not thinking too far ahead. Yeah. Like I didn't even think about like the possibility of chemo. I was just thinking about like, okay, what do I have to do today? Okay, I have to go to a radiologist today. Okay, tomorrow I have to do blood work. So you did like one foot in front of the other, exactly. not thinking too far. Exactly, and just like, oh my gosh, Google was my worst enemy like yeah. before and oh. after the diagnosis. Yeah. Before I was like, it was that one day where like really flared up January 15th. I like was going on Google and I saw the cancer word and I was like, there's no way. There's no way. Like it's definitely like inflammation me, for yeah. sure. Exactly. That's and, how everyone I think would think of it too. Like, Well, yeah. you'd be surprised. Sometimes it's the opposite end of the spectrum really? where it's people have headache. They'll go on WebMD and they'll see cancer and they're like, I have cancer. Mm -hmm. So it works both ways. Interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. But I mean, I just try like I have, you know, Sam or my parents uh, look up anything that I'm like worried about um, on Google. If I like really want to figure out like an answer, I won't Google it. I'll just have Sam do it. And then he'll be like, hey, like this is what I've read. And probably like weed out some of the stuff that I don't want to hear maybe. But I um, feel like Google in general is just a horrible way to get advice. Yeah. I think Google on its own is not great. But Google to prepare you to ask good questions, to have a baseline understanding of a situation, to then go work with a doctor is great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is why I think AI is not replacing doctors because the AI can tell you all the great stuff, the survival numbers, this, that. It's all factually accurate in most cases, but it yeah. doesn't have the humanistic com component of what to expect. What's the right. next step? What's the process here? Who do I call? Who gives me this information? Mm -hmm. How do I get emotional support? How should I be thinking about this? That's where the AI suffers. Mm -hmm. okay. So I don't hate Google. I hate Google when people use it on their own without someone guiding them through the process of Google. I think it's mm -hmm. easy to make assumptions using Google because oh. they'll tell you every spectrum of possible outcomes yeah. and it's up to you to figure out which one. Sure. And so it's like you can spiral really quickly yeah. very quickly go down a bad rabbit hole of like reddit reading personal stories sure. and stuff it's like yeah and what bad. i will say is you truly are breaking a stigma to talk about uh, an area of the body where people are uncomfortable talking about generally which is problematic because they wait so long to seek care yeah so hopefully you're encouraging people to seek care earlier when they are having symptoms whether that's they felt something abnormal uh like 
with their fingers, like they mm -hmm. felt a mess or they felt a symptom in that area, they're more likely to go. But then also you're laying the foundation of how a person should handle health problems. Not so much that you push through and you were a soldier. That's great. Not everybody will have the capacity or ability to do that. But the fact that you advocated for yourself, that when a doctor said something and you didn't feel like it was right, you saw a second opinion. Mm -hmm. You went to someone else. You confided in your friend. That kind of advocacy is probably the biggest factor on good health outcomes. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't always have to come from you, even though in your situation it did, and that's awesome. Sometimes it's having another person in the room who can advocate on your behalf when you're so distraught with a new diagnosis. That's why I encourage everyone when they're going for a serious medical visit to bring a trusted partner with them so that if you're having the cancer word completely dissociate your mind and you're not thinking clearly, your friend can say, doctor, what you're saying is not making sense. Mm. He can be the objective voice in the room. Yeah. And maybe not even Sam, because Sam might not be as objective because he's also emotional in this situation. But having a, a friend or someone who it can be more objective than you, that's going to go really far for people. So I appreciate you doing that for people. I yeah. think. Uh, I of think course. That's the moral of the story right there is like you were like, all right, I'm not going to take no for an answer. Like I'm going to do as much as I possibly can in my willpower to make this as quick and as healthy as possible. Yeah, and if guys out there like think it's embarrassing, especially young guys, since it is like a young man cancer, yeah. it's really nothing to be embarrassed about. Like I've told so many people about this, and especially like doctors, and not one instance has somebody like made fun of me for it. Yeah, no. Like so, like there's nothing really to be afraid of. And again, this is your your health out. Like we're talking about here, yeah. it's the most important thing is to go get treated, go get help as soon as possible if you think something's wrong. Because if you go and it wasn't a cancer or a big problem, the worst case scenario is that you went. Yeah, exactly. But if you didn't go and it does become a really big problem, that's a way bigger problem. So that's like right. the risks you should weigh. Yeah. Like maybe a little embarrassing because you didn't want to lower your shorts or whatever it is, but small trade-off for the win that you get. Exactly. So I hope sure. they do that. Something also I wanted to tell the audience because they might be wondering why the next step was right away to get the testicle surgically removed yeah. as opposed to doing a biopsy mm -hmm. is because what we actually found, and this is a mistake that I didn't even know early on in my training, that when you get um, a diagnosis of testicular cancer, the actual biopsy is made when you remove the entire testicle. Because right. if you have the tumor markers, you have the findings on the ultrasound, that's enough to warrant the removal. And a biopsy, putting a needle in the area, can actually spread, facilitate spread of the cancer. That's why, because if you have a cancer elsewhere, we usually do a biopsy before surgically removing it to understand what it is. Mm -hmm. But the testicle is a unique area where you don't do that. You just remove the testicle. If you have the tumor markers plus the ultrasound findings, you can go ahead and remove it at that point and then find out what type of cancer it is, which right. is what happened in your case. Exactly. And what a lot of people don't know, too, is there were so many of my friends, rightfully so, not, make, so not making fun of them at all, but like they were thinking that they literally like cut open the sack and take out the ball like that. It's like not that graphic, not that scary sounding. It's like an incision right in the waistband. And so it was... Honestly, it was not that bad. I was nervous because I've never been under general anesthesia before. Sure. Um, and so it's just kind of nerve wracking to know that I was just going to basically black out without my control. Mm -hmm. um, but it really like 
it was so easy. They yeah. just count down from five and you can't even remember until you wake up. Like the next thing I remembered was Sam walking into the room, like filming <laughs> me up? pretty much. Like, hey, <laughs> how you feeling? <laughs> exactly. But yeah, to your point, like they needed to take it out in order to take it to a lab to get the, the pathology, pathology report. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was immediately then, get it out. Did you, you also... This is something that wasn't sent to me, but I'm curious if you did. Did you also get imaging of like CAT scans as well? Yeah. So I did a CT scan right after um, the ultrasound as well. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason for that and why I assumed it was done is because when you're looking at the prognosis of uh, testicular cancer is you're looking for the pathology report, which mm -hmm. you sent me, that is what the testicle is made of, the testicular tumor is made of. And then you're looking at the blood tests before and after the removal of the testicle and the CAT scan results would show us if it has spread to other areas mm -hmm. or lymph nodes, yes. the lymphatic system. So correct me if I'm wrong, my understanding of what has happened so far is the testicle was removed, it was found to be a germ cell type tumor, a mixed yep. germ cell type tumor. Yes. Um, and it was uh, fully removed, there mm -hmm. was no residual amount left, there was no lymphatic spread. There was no spread to anywhere else in your body. Correct. And yep. your blood levels of the tumor markers disappeared after the surgery. Yeah. So um, that was a scary moment because um, so your HCG, your beta HCG, yep. um, mine pretty much went back to normal the next week. Yep. Um, but your AFP is known to have each time yes. that you go. And so it took about six weeks, five weeks-ish yep. uh, for it to really get into normal ranges. And mm -hmm. so it was something that I've been calling scanxiety, where like okay. you just go... That's a good word, scanxiety. Yeah, where it's just like you forget about it for a few days and then you go and you get your scans or you get your blood work and then you have that scanxiety for like 24 hours, you get it, and then it's like, oh yeah, it's like lowered, hell yeah. yeah. But it basically got all the way to normal ranges now, so I'm normal. So amazing, so that that's a really great prognosis that puts you in the lower risk category. Mm -hmm. uh, but then your doctor has also brought up the possibility of doing one of two approaches. One is active surveillance, yes. where we just keep an eye on the area and seeing what happens with no more treatment now that we've removed the tumor. Um, and the second option is doing a course of chemotherapy with something known as BEP, mm -hmm. uh, which are chemotherapy agents that you would get uh, injected via IV. Um, take me through your understanding of each of the two paths and what has your doctor recommended thus far? Well, to give context of what I was thinking, I was like, I don't know, I want to do chemo. Like it was like from, well, how did your doctor explain it to you that there's these two approaches? Well, okay. Yeah. So I saw the blood levels got to normal. Technically that means I was cancer free. Like the oncologist yes. said, that's you are cancer free. That's you're cancer free. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. see, so that's awesome. Yeah. And so that was the first good news. I saw an oncologist and he was like, you're cancer free. Here's the thing though. Um, <laughs> it was like one of those things. Sure, like sure. I couldn't get too excited yeah. about it. He was just like, we could do the active surveillance or chemo. Active surveillance is where you would have to for that at least the next two years. He didn't give me a timeline, but he, he basically said like, we're just going to need to watch you very, very closely where you're going to have to get blood work every single month, CT scans like every three months, maybe even like an MRI like once a year. Um, but again, he never told me like complete details on that. It's just watching you closely and you have to be diligent about going sure. to checkups. And he said, or we could um, give you one cycle, 21 days worth of chemo, or I hope 21 days. I'm not 
hundred percent sure on that. Um, and that will greatly reduce your risk of recurrence of it coming back. Now, so what I had was like the garden variety uh, tumor is I had something called like a 40% embryonal carcinoma. Correct. And that's like a extremely fast spreading cancer. Correct. And so that specifically made my situation a little bit worse to where basically the oncologist said I had a 35% chance of recurrence. And he told me that five minutes after he told me I was cancer free. free, And so like, I never really got to celebrate in my head. Like, of course, came home and Sam had like a cookie cake for me and we like, we like cheered and like celebrated. (laughs) Yeah. And all that. But, um, like deep down in the back of my head, I was just still thinking about that recurrence number. Like that's a third, a third of a percent chance or like that is going to come back possibly. Um, and so would you have rather not known? I think I would have rather known because that's where it, it leaves my decision right now of, and I wanted to ask you about this specifically and hear what you um, have to say about this, but literally in a week from filming this is when I have to tell my oncologist what I want to do. I have a CT scan um, on April 6th. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that is the meeting where it's like, do I want to go this chemo route 21 days or do I want to just take the risk of the 35% chance it could come back? So talk about like the day of uh, when you found out and then the week after, because you were pretty set in stone and you knew exactly what he was going to offer before you even walked into the doctor's office. Yeah. So again, I was like, I knew there was the chemo word in the back of my head ever since like I got the diagnosis at first. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just like, I'll be fine. I'll just do active surveillance. And like, seven, it's a 70% thing. Like I'll be good. Um, but yeah, it was just, conflicting in my head because I went home wanting to celebrate and stuff and I was so positive up until like this past week I've, I've still been positive but like the anxiety has hit me worse this last week than it's has this entire journey because it's now like up to me to decide it's not like a doctor saying you should do this you should do this you yeah should do and you this. can't just put your head down and say I'm gonna push through this exactly now it's like you have to push your head down and push through one of two paths right right <laughs> and there's like so many factors to each yeah. path it's like I could choose active surveillance and there's a 70% chance that it never comes back and I'm totally fine and that's like a pretty good chance but there's also that third looming in the back of your head so is that anxiety worth it and in my opinion I don't think it was so like doing the chemo is going to get that 35% down to 5% recurrence and then if it doesn't come back in two years that 5% goes down to like two to three percent of recurrence for the rest of my life and that's where I'm that's where I'm at right now how has your doctor relationship I don't know if you're having these discussions with the oncologist or your primary care doctor who have been in discussing the pros and cons of this? Have they been positive? Have they just been like, here are your options, now kind of screw off or? Kind of, I mean, so I've only talked to the oncologist about it like once in person and then haven't heard from them since. How was that conversation? Take me through that combo. It was like, basically like I said, where it was like, all right, so. Here are your options and here's the percentages by. It literally, it was like, you're cancer free. But it's like, that's what it sounded like. But you have a 35% chance of recurrence. So here's your options. We could do active surveillance where we do blah, 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 blah. Or 
We can give you a dose of chemo right now, which is what I recommend. So let us know in like a week or so. Goodbye. It was like uh, a 10 minute yes. or less visit. That sucks. Yeah. And this is a recurring theme that I keep hearing doing these podcasts. Actually, Hannah Fry, who's a, a mathematician, was sitting in one of these seats not so long ago telling me about her cervical cancer diagnosis. And she faced the same exact thing where they were like, do you want us to take out everything? Do you want us to take out some of the nodes? And she felt rushed because she's given statistics but not a true understanding of what can happen. Mm -hmm. So now an important uh, thing that I wanna do before um, we get into the decision-making process of this, or at least the discussion of the decision-making process is so people understand and they can follow along in the story why you're facing this decision. Had your, so because we keep saying you were low risk, right? Because the type of uh, cancer that you had, the fact that there was no lymph node spread, the fact that the blood tests all resulted normal makes you low risk. Mm -hmm. But there was one component that was the majority component of the tumor that yeah. puts you in a slightly higher low risk still category. Yes, yes. So like elevated low risk. Mm -hmm. And because of that, the act of surveillance and the dose of chemotherapy kind of start evening out in terms of what we've seen from evidence where the decision is not clear on what is the optimal route. Because right. had your tumor been made up of that same uh, embryo embryological carcinoma, you would just say active surveillance and you'd move on. Right. You would say no need for the thing. But because of that, it puts you in a slightly higher, higher risk. Now it's a little bit more balanced. Yeah. That's why we're facing this decision. Now, medically, legally, all of that, just for your understanding, I'm not your doctor. I'm not gonna tell you what to do, nor should your doctor ever tell you what to do. But in terms of just laying out informationally what happens in these scenarios, I think we're both comfortable having that discussion. I think it's valuable. For sure. Because so people can see what should happen yes. during a visit. And if it doesn't happen with a specialist, because specialists are pressed for time, they're running in and out of rooms, a relationship with a primary care doctor should happen in this way, that the doctor can guide you for you to make the best decision by laying out what the pros and cons are of not just the statistics, but of the reality. What is life like? Not just statistics, but what is your life? How does your life change? Right. And right now we're facing the decision of active surveillance as being the one route where you're going to be doing some kind of scans. And there's different strategies to active surveillance, which you can discuss with your doctor, obviously, where maybe you do more aggressive scanning early on and then it gets more sporadic as you get older mm -hmm. because of this potential risk of recurrence? Or do you go down this one uh, single dose of chemotherapy? When I say dose, I mean the course yeah. of chemotherapy. What has your doctor told you about risks of going down? You know the risk of going down active surveillance is that there could be a recurrence. Yeah. What is your knowledge of the risks of the chemotherapy component? Well, they gave me like a four page packet about <laughs> all the side effects of chemo. And so it was definitely hard to stomach, but it's like one of those things where you can correct me if I'm wrong, but doctors have to tell you everything that could happen. Yeah. Pretty well, much. Legally they're, they're handing you the paper and they can check a box and they say, I've educated the patient on the risks. Right. And so there was, I can't even <laughs> name all of them. There was like, uh, you know, it's, I can't name them. Yeah. There's too many of them. And the way that they explain them is, okay, 10% of people will have these side effects. 1% mm -hmm. of people will have this list of side effects. And right. then really rare, even less than 1% people will have these side effects. Exactly. And then it's like, and then some people will have long lasting side effects. So if you really look into that, that can be so 
anxiety provoking that it almost becomes the bigger problem. Yeah, exactly. And that's why this last week has been like the hardest for me is because I did accidentally go down a Google rabbit hole. Not going to lie. Of course. Um, And luckily having his sister like to be able to call and she's an oncologist herself and actually cares to talk to me for a while. Like (laughs) (laughs) roasted doctors. I'm just kidding. Um, She basically told me that like with one cycle, which hopefully. Well, what did Google first tell you? Google told me uh, all the all the worst things like a long term problem, like lung failure, like actually any organ failure, like diabetes. Um, Obviously, short term side effects would be the hair loss, which everybody is aware of. Oh man, there's just so so many. So a lot of side effects. Yeah, like like blood, like red blood cell, like decreasing that, like infertility possibly, like testosterone levels tanking. So many, I could go on and on. And I don't even know because I like stopped looking at half the side effects because I was like, I I don't even know if I'm gonna do chemo yet. So yeah. I was like, why am I sure processing I think all at this? At that moment too, for that first like week after receiving that packet, going down the rabbit hole, you were like. Oh God, this sounds awful. I'm just going to go do active surveillance no matter what. Yeah. That whole week I was thinking this whole last week, I was thinking the active surveillance route because in my head I was like, well, here's the thing. If I do chemo now, there's going to be all these side effects and possibly infertility. But if it comes back and I do chemo later, it's going to be the same side effects. So I might as well just take that 70%, you know, chance I will be completely fine and don't have to do anything in the future. Um, and then if it comes up in the future, then I'll deal with it then. But the thing about that was if it came back and crucial thing I forgot to mention was if it did come back, I'd have to do three to four cycles of BP and possibly an RPL and D surgery to get the lymph nodes removed. Mm-hmm. Cause that's where testicular cancer is shown Spreads, to spread. Yeah. yeah. And so now it was like, okay, four months of chemo and surgery or 21 days of chemo to insure yourself for life, pretty much, like essentially. Um, And so that's where I'm at right now. And uh, obviously, when I called Allison, um, she was telling me that um, a lot of the longer like side effects that you might experience like in your 40s 50s 60s come from multiple doses of chemo, multiple courses. And so that kind of put into my head where she basically like talked it down to where she was like if you do one cycle um yes there is potential side effect risks but it's way 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 less than obviously doing doing three to four yeah yeah. and so basically just talk talked me down into being like this might be the right decision just to ensure that safety and it's only 21 days and again the anxiety of that 35 percent like looms on you where every day you're like thinking of that even if 70 is you know twice as twice as much as the 30 35 it's still like something in the back of your head of like is this going to come back is this going to come back and so for me personally personally i just thought it would be better to get rid of that risk as much as possible and um i think just being completely honest with everybody i think that my biggest fear was the hair loss (laughs) not gonna lie that's a fair and I mean, with to have. our profession too, like us being on camera 24 seven, you understand like of what course, I'm talking about. Like that is like terrifying. It's so different than if I worked just somewhere else doing another job. But considering the job that I had, it was like even more scary. And having the whole like social media, like look at you too, is even more scary. So mm-hmm. there was a lot of factors for me personally to think about, but. That's what the doctor 
needs to discuss with you. Yeah. Like the example I gave with Hannah Fry was if I'm putting on a patient and I know them well that they're a musician and I know the medication can cause a tremor, I'm going to be much more sensitive about introducing that medication to them than I would a person who doesn't play the instrument and doesn't care right. if they have a mild tremor. Mm -hmm. So that's the same exact logic that you're doing. So I'm glad you have a person helping you, even though they're not your official doctor. Yeah, exactly. It would be nice if your doctor could have this conversation. <laughs> I know. It seemed like every single doctor I've talked to, besides one, a UCLA doctor, but like every other doctor in Nevada I've talked to, it seems like it's like, Hey, I can only talk for five minutes. Yep, yep. Okay, okay, okay. Cool. You're done talking to me. All right. This is what you I need to do. I'm gone. Like five minutes only. I talked to the nurse longer. I talked to the doctor. Yeah. So it was just kind of frustrating that it just shows that they nobody's going to care about your medical situation more than yourself. Yeah, yeah exactly. Or close friends, like yeah, his sister, or, or close friends. But that just shows that even even trying to schedule a conversation has been near impossible. You like you had that one conversation when you found out, but have you even been able to sit down with anybody since then? No, I've been trying to That's plan funny. this chemo route and haven't been able to contact. But also, based on how you were describing you seeking care early on when the symptoms first started, it sounds like you don't have a primary care doctor they have a long-standing relationship with, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like that's the most important thing you can do for your health in terms of good outcomes because A, they know you and they can think about this personal approach to healthcare and help you make these decisions and be that voice, how I would be if you were my patient. Mm -hmm. But then also, because they've seen you for so long, not only do they know you well, they have a vested interest. Yeah. They become family. They care. I have patients that I've delivered as a doctor, like baby, and then now they're like my five-year-old patient. Yeah. So of course crazy. I'm gonna have a much stronger connection to this patient than if I ran into them in the ER for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like, that's why you really need a primary care doctor for those conversations. Obviously it's great to lean on friends who are experts, et cetera, et cetera. But that's like how people who may not have that access can have that same conversation. Yeah, 100%. I'm lucky that I do have Sam's sister to like give me advice, but yeah, besides that, all I've been looking at is like Google and and like ha we're having them look up like Google, <laughs> yeah. Google searches so I don't freak out. Um, and now, yeah, now it's like pretty much I have probably like a week from now yeah. too. And both are reasonable choices, which makes it harder. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. When you have two reasonable choices, it's like which path do you choose? Right. Um, also, when you look at active surveillance, if they are gonna be recommending that you get repeat CAT scans, you also gotta think about radiation that you're getting from repeat CAT scans. Yeah, oh yeah, that's very true. So yeah. there's there's so many variables to take into consideration. It really should be your gut decision that you go with. Mm -hmm. And there's two things you have to do when you make that decision. Um, one is you have to make it based on your gut and fully trust your gut and go headstrong that you made that decision yeah. and two, make peace with the fact that it could be the wrong decision mm. yep. that you can only decide based on what you know now and what with what you know now there is no wrong decision that's true okay like whatever you decide right now not wrong and see that already helps me feel like more at peace like even thinking that because again like you could say i decided to do chemo and then something Side effect happens, but it's like, I don't know that now. Can't know. Yeah. There's, there's, there's never foolproof answers in medicine. In fact, the enemy of making a good decision in healthcare, you know what that is? What would you say the enemy of making a good decision is? What's the opposite of a good decision? 
you're yeah. probably gonna think bad decision. Yeah, bad decision. No, it's trying <laughs> to make a perfect decision. Right. Oh, there's man. no perfect. There's no perfect. And when you strive for perfect, it becomes bad. Right. And you know what was interesting is like talking to like Sam and my parents about this. And I, again, I was on the active surveillance route the entire time. Mm-hmm. They were on my side as well. Like, yeah, no, active surveillance seems right. It was only till after the conversation with Allison, the oncologist, that um, it kind of flipped my view on it. And then everybody was also able to see that side. And nobody's wrong. It's just, like you said, no perfect. Which is, that's the important thing. Hear people out, but let your gut decide it. Yeah. Because it's your choice. You have to live with it. And if you choose someone else's, it'll be so easy to blame them. Right. But right now in this scenario where you're deciding what you want and you know that no answer is wrong, there's no one to punish. It's yeah. It just happened. Just like you're not punishing anyone for the fact that you developed testicular cancer. Yeah. The same way that you'll handle those side effects if True. they do occur. If they do occur. Yeah. And right now, if anybody's wondering, like, I think I am on the chemo route. Mm-hmm. I think I will do that for sure. Just because... If it is 21 days, I'm still not aware of the cycle of BEP. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's three months, that might like I might not do it. <laughs> That's where I'm at right now. But the 21 days, we are like very far ahead with filming and stuff. And I could afford doing that right now. And kind of like if I did lose hair or had bad side effects, I could, you know, hide away for for a second, we'd still be fine with our business and sure. stuff. So I think that is the right decision because for me personally. That 35% is scary. That yeah. third of a chance in my head is like, is what was keeping me up at night like for the past week. And so if I can get that down to 5%, that's great. You were saying that matters. even this last like week and a half was more anxiety than you've had even learning that you had cancer in general. Yes. Yeah. Because I have to decide myself. So yeah. that just means like this scanxiety for the coming two years would be probably the worst of this entire process. Exactly. You. Yeah. I'd have to wait two years of just being like, it's going to come back every time, like every single month getting like the tumor markers checked. Mm-hmm. Is it going to come back? So yeah, to me, it's just not worth that, that mental. Yeah. How do you feel about his thought process? Not the decision, but the thought process. I think it was very fair. It was really interesting to see because when he first brought it, like, hey, like I'm cancer-free. Yes, that's awesome. I could see there was something weighing on him. and You didn't buy it. And, well, yeah, I was like, I'm for sure just whatever you want to do. And I, as I was hearing his conversations and phone calls with everybody, everyone said the same thing. It's like, yeah, like I can't make this decision for you. This is obviously like whatever you want to do. And at least from what the the lack of knowledge I have, I, this the word like chemotherapy just seems horrible. Like, oh, you're putting chemicals in your body and you're gonna be killing all your cells. Like that just sounds bad. All these like packets of informational side effects, it just sounds bad. So I was like, definitely could see where he was coming from of doing active surveillance. And even from the day he found out that his tumor markers were starting to fall down, he realized, okay, the doctor is going to tell me I could do active surveillance or chemo, so I want to just do active surveillance. So I knew from day one he wanted to do that. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'll be on your side there. And literally, like, just a week ago, I was updating my sister on the whole situation, and that's when I was like, oh, wait, whoa, like, this is a lot more to think about. And so I was like, hey, can you make sure to call Colby tomorrow and really explain this to him? Because, like, the way you're explaining it to me is, like, really intense. And so, you know, the next day I saw him having hour-long conversations with my sister about it. And since then it was 
it's been changed, but I could definitely see after hearing more about it, like that I think he now has all the facts to actually like make a decision. I think previously mm -hmm. we were acting a little more on impulse and like what I like what he wanted to do. And especially with this job, uh, I, I thought deep down, like if the main reason for not wanting to do chemo was the aesthetic of, you know, losing hair and, or not feeling like you want to be on camera for a few months, that's a couple months of your life versus the happiness and healthiness of your entire life. Like, yes, like a few, you know, bad months or sluggish times or, or awkward pictures for a few months is going to be worth the rest of your life. And so for I sure. think at least in this, in this decision, now we've gotten past the superficial stuff. I think now he can definitely make a decision more deep down on what's beneficial to him. I think that's powerful. Mm -hmm. I also think if I had a patient in your shoes, because I don't want to influence your decision in any way, uh, I would tell them two things. One, you know how you said you have to decide in a week? Mm -hmm. I would get rid of that deadline. That's the first thing I would recommend. Okay. Because that's a deadline someone else set for you and it's your health. You, you don't have to decide anything. True. Like if you want to wait another week because you need time with it, wait another week. This isn't life or death that you have to decide in seven days. The tumor is not like, oh, it's day eight. <laughs> like that's <laughs> not attack. how it works. Yeah. Yeah. So do not create artificial timelines that are not based on any kind of science. That's what I would tell them. And second, getting the initial second opinion was smart. How you found a, a person to speed up the process of getting the ultrasound and getting the, tu uh, the tumor removed quicker by doing the surgery was wise. I think if there was ever a time to get a second opinion and have almost two doctors argue with each other is now. Mm -hmm. Meaning contact the leading expert in this situation and have them play devil's advocate. Say, I want to go the chemotherapy route, be devil's advocate for me. Mm. That's what I want you to do for me in this visit. And see if they can present some kind of evidence that you didn't know. Okay. Mm. Because this is the important decision that you have to make. The surgery was very obvious that you needed to do it. Here, as we were saying, both choices are reasonable. You're not making a wrong decision with whatever choice, but make sure you have the best information. Right. And the best information doesn't come from someone who says, oh yeah, I gave that medicine once. Talk to the people that have given the medicine 10,000 times. Yeah. And talk to the people who've not given the medicine 10,000 times and see what their experiences have been like. And that's where... Because evidence can give us a clear answer, that's where anecdote might give you some reassurance one way or another. Yeah, 100%. And luckily with this, like my, my team finding like UCLA doctors and stuff too, I can do just that. And exactly. I have and those are the things you don't need to go in for a visit. You could schedule a virtual. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like there's flexibility in that. So that's that. those are two things that I think are very reasonable. Yeah. Throwing out artificial deadlines and then seeking the knowledge, not don't sit, tell doctors, tell me what to do. Just what, 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 what happens in these scenarios? 100%. Yeah, no, I appreciate you saying that because, yeah, again, fortunate enough to have multiple people that I can talk to that so are professional in, in different states too, completely yeah. don't even know each other type thing. Like they can argue yeah. it out and help me decide. For but, sure. You yeah. know, right now what we're looking forward to in the medical sphere is learning which individuals are actually the ones that would benefit from the chemotherapy most. 
Mm, interesting. Like as we st continue studying individual DNA, we start seeing that there are some individuals that have a better response than others, some have side effects more than others. And I think over the next 10, 20, 30 years, that's a major breakthrough that we're going to see within cancer treatment. So that's pretty exciting. 100%. And do you mind if I touch on one thing really Please, quick? Or, of course, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, we can cut this out if the, there's not time. But um, a lot of questions have uh, arisen from like young men of like, oh, yeah how's life now type yeah. thing like, so yeah, like what's working yeah. type thing um everything is normal and i didn't know that at first too like losing a testicle i was like what's gonna happen did you sperm bank by the way i did not okay. before the surgery they told me i need to do that if i decided to do the chemo route but surgery they said your one working testicle is going to basically work overdrive and you should have the same amount of testosterone, same libido, like everything looks normal down there. I got offered if I want to do a prosthetic, like a little fake ball to yeah. put down there. Did you do the fake ball? I did not. Okay. No, I decided well, why, to- What was the choice? I'm curious about that decision. Well, that was an interesting <laughs> choice too. And like kind of like something I battled with because I was like, well, I don't- think it'll look too different like i, I just didn't know sure. but my biggest fear was that the body tends to reject sure. foreign objects and happen. so i didn't want to have the anxiety of like you know being 30 40 whatever and like be like wait this year is you know like my is this ball gonna fucking get rejected <laughs> out of me like what the hell you know sorry i'm laughing it's, yeah, funny it's all good like yeah. funny situation but like I, that's uh, to me i was just like i should just go natural and then i just kept telling myself i was like if i'm really embarrassed about it, if i really really care then hey in a year i can just get a surgery and get one placed in sure. that was my thought process okay and i'm telling you like all the guys out there that are dealing with this it does not look any different down there everything works perfectly i've been able to work out i just got my testosterone tested two days ago and it's like normal ranges so everything's great and i think that's a big misconception is like guys think their life is over as yeah. soon as like they get this diagnosis or like they just don't know what's going to happen and it's really nothing nothing changes mm -hmm. like your, your other one takes over so. what was your first question when he said that he was going to get it taken out what did you think that could go wrong well, yeah, I thought one like infertility. Yep. Uh, and then, yeah, like what what is this future look for him? Like, is is that going to actually affect anything specifically at t testosterone and infertility? Mm -hmm. um, but pretty much all those questions were answered almost immediately. And what was really interesting was, uh, I think the doctor correct me if I'm wrong, but the doctor was like, yeah, if you, if you sperm bank before uh, the surgery, it's like not really like anything different because the cancer has pretty much already taken over that ball. <laughs> yeah. Your other ball has already risen to the occasion and is working overdrive already. Yeah. So that's how you know you're chilling. Like you're, you're yeah. going to be fine afterwards. He anyway. made me feel like a lot better just oh. being like, being like, hey, man, your ball has not been working for the past <laughs> two months, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. like and it was going to be like, gone. Oh, it was yeah. already gone, man. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I was like, oh, in that case, like everything's been working pretty good down there. So yeah, it just like relieved that anxiety. Of that, that's a great way to put takes it. over. Okay, okay so I'm glad you had one good interaction. In the yeah, medical space. exactly. Just one. It was interesting how I think for at least a week or so you were on the I want to do the prosthetic side. Yeah, I did think about that for a while because it, it was just superficial reasons. Again, sure. I was just like, I just don't know if. You know, I don't know what it will look like, and I don't want to be embarrassed if I'm doing like if I'm hooking up with somebody. Did and they somebody show you pictures something. of like befores and afters? Or they did not. No pictures, and um, they didn't even. What was interesting is when I got the surgery, they didn't even like bring in 
the prosthetic. They were just like, did you want one or not? And I had to just say yes or no. And I said, no. <laughs> God, that's but it. yeah, I thought they would like, you know, yeah. like, they should, they, they should, <laughs> they, should. they show you pictures. They should say this is what it would look like without this is exactly. And there yeah. was risks involved, not only like the infection, your body rejecting it, but like there was like horror stories I was reading of them being like the doctor placed it too high. And well, <laughs> now didn't you look horrible. up that like one in three, like over time, get like either an infection or if their body rejects it. Or something or, like it wasn't like infection. It was like one in three people are disappointed oh. with oh, yeah. the result. Okay. Yeah. Whatever that may be. Sure. Yeah. So you felt uh, I'll make that decision later on if I need to. Exactly. Okay. And like, yeah, I was just like, since I didn't know if it was going to look super different, I was like, might as well just wait till all swelling goes down. And then again, if in a year I'm insecure about it, then I'll deal with it. Yeah. But speaking of too, like the scar, for example, like that is up in the waistband. So it's like, like really nothing looks different down there. Yeah. That's basically what I'm trying to say. Yeah. For peace of mind for guys dealing with this. That's yeah. an important peace of mind because guys are oftentimes the worst to bring in before there's a problem or early on in a problem. They really mm -hmm. wait for a long time before they come in. I've seen that yeah. in my practice. Because they think about that stuff. Yes. Yeah. But we want them to come in and we want to be uh, proactive. And at the same time, I want to talk about your scanxiety that you brought up. And that's such a good term. Um, because sometimes people come in with the idea that we can order every test and prevent every problem. Mm -hmm. And just as I said earlier, the enemy of good is perfect in medicine. We can't prevent every problem. I can't give definitive answers. Like for myself, I can't tell you if I'm going to have a heart attack in five minutes or did I just have a heart attack. Right. I can tell you clinically, it doesn't look like I'm having a heart attack. I have no symptoms of a heart, but I can't say I definitely did not have one. Because in order to say definitely, I need to go in and prove it. Yes. And we're not going to do that because that carries risk. Right. So that's part of that scanxiety is not going to a doctor that's going to overpromise you things and say, we can check everything. If you pay us extra money, we'll guarantee you don't have cancer. We'll do these genetic tests. It doesn't exist yet. There's some things we can actually be proactive on, um, colonoscopies, uh, cervical cancers for women and getting um, pap smears done. Those things we can be proactive on. That's not the complete list, but those are the some of the proven things. Other things have fallen out of favor because in order for this the the screening, the, the test to find out if the, if the problem exists in someone who's not showing symptoms, that feels fine. In order for that test to be beneficial, it needs to prolong their life, decrease the risk of them dying from the cancer, improve their quality of life, and most importantly, not cause this anxiety. Exactly, mm. yeah. Because yep. so many people are like, just scan my whole body to see if I have cancer. I'm like, well, I don't want to do that because people have lumps, bumps, masses in their bodies yeah. that mean nothing. Mm -hmm. But if I just start scanning and finding, oh, there's a one millimeter nodule. Now I'm scanning it and giving you scan anxiety for the rest of your life right? and radiating you yeah. with radiation causing a cancer for no benefit. Right. Which is really, why we don't scan everybody. Yeah. That's really interesting because going through this whole thing, I think from an outside perspective, outside of once he's all healed up, I think the main thing that I took away and a lot of our friends did was like, well, then we should like be way more proactive about figuring yeah. things out or like doing checkups. And, you know, to what you just said, maybe that's not a perfect situation, no, but the perfect situation is go and let the doctor guide you as to what tests you need and you'd benefit from versus what tests you don't. Because there are some tests that you do not need. Like if a healthy person comes in and says, hey, check me for testicular cancer, while well, we can do like a palpation exam to see if there's any lumps, bumps, or masses, I'm not going to be ordering ultrasounds on healthy patients. For sure. Right, yeah. So anxiety. best case scenario, 
you know, when there's something specifically wrong, go on that specific, you know, test. However, just make sure to get a regular test often. Or not a well, regular, pe- regular checkup? A regular checkup, yeah. Because, for example, for me as a primary care doctor, we have institutional guidelines of things we should be checking each age group, each demographic. And we should say, in this person, they have high rates of condition X. And if we scan for this condition X, we can actually prolong their life. So we do that test. Okay. But then there's some things, like if you just come in, like if you came in and you're like, hey, I want to make sure I'm cancer-free. Scan me. Give me a CAT scan. I would never order it for you. Okay, because that's, that's actually going to cause you harm, right? With skinxiety, with potentially finding something that's not going to be worthwhile, and now we're scanning you over and over again, radiating your body further. Maybe doing a biopsy, getting a uh, a problem from the biopsy as a side effect. Yeah, and all of that because you had no symptoms, there was no benefit to doing it. So let's say someone at home right now is, is listening, like, wait, well, I I, I do kind of feel something weird. Or I have been feeling something weird. If you feel something weird, that is no longer screening. Okay. Because screening means you're healthy with no symptoms. So if you have a symptom, me ordering a test is now a diagnosis, a diagnostic test. Mm-hmm. So basically, if you come to me and you're like, Dr. Mike, I have a terrible pain in my right lower quadrant of my abdomen. It's terrible. I'm vomiting. Now I'm ordering a scan because I want to diagnose you with appendicitis. Mm, okay. But I'm not ordering that test if you're like, hey, doc, can you just check if I have appendicitis? I want to make sure. Yeah. Well, Why? I don't know. My mom had it. Maybe I have it. I'm not scanning you. Okay. So is there, are there tests or anything that someone should be doing? Maybe not all the time, but like every couple of years. Or- well, like the test I mentioned, like the colonoscopy starting at age 45, uh, for women at age 21, starting getting their pap smears. There are tests that you have to do, not have to do, but you ought to do that have been proven to extend life and get the benefit. And then there's tests that you shouldn't do. But that's where you have to trust your doctor and have a good relationship with your doctor to understand why. And if your doctor is ever telling you, hey, you should get a pap smear, you should get a colonoscopy, you should have no fear like you advocated for yourself to ask why. Why do I need this or why do I not need it? Mm -hmm. And if your doctor can't verbalize to you why or why not, find another doctor. Mm. That's interesting. But main, main thing is everyone needs a primary care doctor. That's the main takeaway for everyone at home. And if you have a concern about something like you had a concern down there, no matter what the concern is, get it checked out. Right. Because everyone says, when should I go see the doctor with a problem? If you're thinking about it, go. Mm-hmm. That's the trigger. Yeah. Like as soon as you have the thought, go. Because it's so easy to make excuses and prolong it. Our minds are excellent at that, at downplaying the issue. But just go. Because again, the worst case scenario is you'll get a clean bill of health. Mm-hmm. That's the worst case scenario. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Very true. Yeah, I was gonna say like, don't tough it out <laughs> too too long. Like, no. don't, don't think you can just overcome it. It's not no, worth it. It's not necessary because again, if you go and it just oh no, this is nothing. Just a muscle sprain, you know, whatever. Good, you know, it's a muscle sprain. Now you know what a muscle sprain feels like. Yeah, there you go. There we go. That's this awesome. gets rid of the anxiety altogether. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Well, let's play some lightning round questions. Let's do it. Okay, Sam, with you first. Oh, What's the healthiest part of your body? Oh, <laughs> on me currently? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. My stomach? I don't know. The fuck? Okay. I don't know. What? How about you? <laughs> Definitely not my testicles. Uh, <laughs> what do you mean? Your other testicles doing a oh, stellar yeah, yeah, my job. My right testicle. That's yeah, what I'm going to say. There you go. That's my right. My right's good. There you go. Um, okay, Sam, what's one part of your body that you wish you could replace? Oh, God, um, my dude, these are really hard <laughs> questions, man. Uh, my ankles, because they always hurt when I run. Okay, that's a problem. Oh, man, shoot. 
I would replace probably my my lower back sometimes hurts when I okay. stand up too fast. Lumbar spine, fair. Sure. That's what I should have said. <laughs> I broke my back. Broke and why back. didn't I just say, oh, like, <laughs> you got a new back? We're on the spot, man. Know, um, too much anxiety. What's one thing that raised your blood pressure this week? Uh, this situation. <laughs> okay. Probably same. Fair, yeah. okay. Fair. Fair answer. Okay. So now, uh, one to 10, I'm just going to give you a list of things, and then you just say one to 10 for each of them. You could say it at the same time or take turns. From one to ten, how scared are you of ghosts? Five. Seven. Movies. Zero. Scary movies. Two. Books? Ten. Two. Mummies. <laughs> Mummies? Zero. Zero. Wow. Aliens or UFOs? Six. Eight. They're real. <laughs> Possession or exorcism? Nine. Ten. It's gonna happen one day. Oh, God. Monsters like Bigfoot, Yeti, Godzilla. One. Zero. Loneliness. Ten. Ten. <laughs> um, war slash invasion. Ten. Ten. Zombies. One. Seven. Whoa, dude! There could be zombies, <laughs> dude. Think of all the pandemics out here, man. Like, okay. we're gonna turn. Right. You guys watch Last of Us? Yeah, dude. That's what that's I'm what talking about. Oh god, no, I haven't uh, seen that. Yeah, well, he doesn't need this anxiety. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Not too much going in, on. In a year and a half, watch The Last of Us. Okay, failure. Zero. Zero. Wow. Doesn't matter. M- meteor apocalypse. Uh. You said apocalypse. Three. Meteor. Isn't that pretty like likely? Two. Okay. Oh, okay. Being canceled. Eight and a half. <laughs> Eight and a half. <laughs> Financial collapse. Uh, two. Four. Intimacy. Scared of intimacy? Yeah. Oh. Three. Five. The unknown. Oh, ten. Ten. Dark deep water. Oh, God, Ooh, ten. Ten. Freaks me out. That's scary. Yeah, <laughs> Getting punched in the face? Uh, one. Someone come really? punch me. I got six, because that can really be damaging. Oh, it could, depending if they're going to hit. But if you just get smacked <laughs> once, like you're going to recover. Okay. Right? Bees. Oh, zero. You got that. Yeah, like two. Flick them off. Snakes? Five. Two. Spiders? Seven. Zero. <laughs> What? Shark? Seven? You just, like scream in your room when you have a. They're really scary. Oh, my gosh. Oh, You're man. that scared of spiders? They're like tarantulas and like Australian spiders. Okay, Hell I not. have a cool fun fact. There's almost no deadly spiders. Really? Oh, I thought there was like a lot. None. It's just like the. Like, especially in North America, there's like, there's never been a death. Never what? been a death in North America from a spider? I, I thought that. brown recluses were, were chopping people left and right. Yeah. yeah. Isn't wow. that crazy? Interesting. Yep. In America, though. Is what uh, no, no, no. <laughs> but even worldwide, it's, it's almost unheard of. Wow. Okay. As long as like you get some level of medical care, not like anti-venom, like a snake thing. But mm, spiders right. don't kill scary. people. There's zero for spiders. <laughs> Sharks. Zero. Four. Zero? <laughs> I don't <laughs> chill with sharks that often. I just feel like... <laughs> I can avoid them. AI. Ten. Ten. Okay. For sure. Horror video games. Oh. Two. Nine. I Nine? Sc- oh. I scream every Silent time we Hill. do a React video. What That's true. Um, the Dark? Two. Two. 
Okay. Not used to that. Fair. Now, for the last portion here, um, you could answer as a team. Uh, I have a list of YouTubers here, and I'm curious <laughs> how you would choose to scare them. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Mark Rober. Oh, God. Oh, my gosh. He would be hard to scare because I feel like he's like you, evidence-based. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't... Mark Rover, I feel like we dangle him off the side of a <laughs> roller coaster. <laughs> a roller coaster? Yeah, okay, we'll do that okay, to Mark. Okay. Yeah. Mr. Beast? Oh. Mr. Beast. Send him in the Conjuring House alone. Conjuring House alone, and he just has to watch like a thousand hours worth of, worth of something like he used to do in the. There we go. That'd be days. perfect. Oh, that would be painful. About. Dude perfect. <laughs> Scaring dude perfect. haunted golf course i don't know like what that's so hard send them in the world's largest maze Ooh. okay all right that would be overwhelming that's good yeah okay casey neistat oh my god scaring that guy would be very putting him in a bike lane and blocking it off (laughs) telling him he can't run again Oh, yeah. there we go. Yeah, does it have to be paranormal? No. Oh, what? I was what thinking. Yeah, That's why I was, I was like, saying how, the roller coaster. I was like, how thing. do I think of dude perfect? Like, huh? Dang. Uh, Eric. Um, we just scream at him constantly <laughs> <laughs> for like eight hours straight. That scared him. So dude, that would scare anybody. I feel like if you just screamed at someone for that long. The Try Guys. Uh, Ooh. I, Make each one oh. of them go alone in a different haunted house. Oh, yeah, man. divide they them should. up. And they have a walkie-talkie. Only. Yeah. Pitch darkness. Yeah. Pitch black. Night vision cameras. <laughs> Logan like, Paul. <laughs> oh, bring them to a forest. Oh! oh. oh. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Can't. Too soon. Wow. I didn't expect that. No, I didn't really either. Especially because the next one is Ryan's Toys Review. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Dangle him over a roller coaster. Oh, my God. He's probably uh, scared of everything at this point. Um, Ryan Trahan. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, man. Probably just take him to a haunted place because he's just, he just, his vocally told us before in person he just does not mess with ghosts. He doesn't want that at Mm-mm. all. He's too scared. And I guess for me, you'd take me into a, a haunted medical institution. Yes. Oh, abandoned hospital. There abandoned hospital. I would be so scared. No, I would probably like I, I if we do it, I have to wear a heart rate monitor the whole time. <laughs> yeah. So fun. you'll see that I'm ne- not faking anything. So be, like, be real awesome. time, you'll see my pulse skyrocket. Yeah. yeah if you're down, Wait. we know a million hospitals. Dude, so. That's so a do really you. interesting idea. We yeah. should do that too. Like have heart rate monitors. Just get yeah. hooked up. Yeah. yeah. You don't even need something crazy, just like the the ones that go across your chest. Oh. Like the polar heart rate monitors. Boom. That's actually such a good idea. Because yeah. yeah. we're like internally freaking out sometimes. And, and no it's hard knows. to show, yeah. Yeah. Because that's um, something that we do when we think a patient is malingering. It's uh, We feel like they're faking pain. There are some signs that we use that the body actually shows that someone is truly in pain and pulse is one of them. Hmm. Okay. So if you want to prove to people that this is real and you're really scared... Your pulse ain't gonna lie. Oh, Interesting. New okay. idea. Yeah, we should try that. Right. <laughs> Can good. I be there for the first episode? New tactic. Cool. Um, uh, I usually ask a final question, um, but this time I'm uh, only gonna ask it to you, Sam, because I feel like I know your answer. Yeah. Have you ever almost died? <laughs> Have I almost? Oh yes. Uh, we almost died scuba diving, a uh, hundred feet below. Uh, when we ran out of oxygen. 
So we tried to get advanced scuba dive certified in five days, which is pretty much as fast as you humanly can, like uh-huh. le- legally. And we ran multiple people in our group ran out of oxygen a hundred feet down, and we did not do any of the safety passes of going up uh, as you're supposed to go. Oh so my god! So even scary. some people in our group got the bends. No way! So it was it was rough. Wow, that's so scary. Yeah, that def- definitely one of those that sent us into some anxiety-ridden yeah, things. Never been uh, scuba diving again after that. Uh, yeah, so. that was the last time. <laughs> no wonder you said say. dark deep water was a time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now it all it's makes really sense. Freakish. Real trauma there. Well, I'm happy neither of you have passed and that you're here to share this story. Um, I think you're going to do a lot of good for the world. Uh, I appreciate your honesty, your transparency, because not an easy topic to talk about. So thank you yeah, for, for coming us. on and sharing your experience. And obviously... For being a, a caregiver and yeah, supporter yeah. for your friend. Support. Yeah. Get through it, man. Let's We're going to get, get through it. Yeah. Dr. Michael, allow me to issue you congratulations. I think you just conducted the best interview of the your young podcast life. Uh, it's exciting. That's mm-hmm. a, a very hard situation to deal with from Colby's side of things and hard from Sam's side of things for very different reasons. And having both of them share their opinions openly, honestly, and still factually keep it all together was tough, but a a very valuable experience, I hope, for everyone involved. Yeah, you got to really pull apart like the meat off of the bone of this subject. Mm -hmm. And it was it was really fascinating to hear you say, like, I think what X doctor said here was incorrect. And if you're in the situation in the future audience, you should uh, expect your doctor to behave this way. And like, so it was kind of controversial, but in a really educational way. And uh, I found it very satisfying. Dan, I'm assuming you probably felt the same way. It was, uh, I didn't, I didn't have trouble. I didn't get bored. I didn't look away. I found it really. Yeah. I think even the ghost hunting initial conversation was interesting because it was Mm -hmm. a little bit of the controversy. (laughs) You were putting them on the spot. That was cute. And then we started talking about this very heavy diagnosis and how he's live dealing with this as we're talking about it in the given moment. And he's facing this huge decision. And it frankly made me feel very, I don't want to say happy is the word, um, grateful that he trusts me enough to Mm -hmm. ask me a question of that weight and willing to hear my opinion out on it. It was it was cool for the audience at home. Uh, in preparing for this interview, I had contacted their team and said, hey, if there's any update about uh, Colby's situation, we'd love to hear it so Mike can be prepared. And yeah, they literally sent over his like results, test results yeah. and, his and everything. Yeah. So Mike actually got to get his hands dirty and, and take a look at um, the, the actual reports there. So And it, I think it highlights how skeptical I am of our medical system, mm-hmm. that the first thing I did was based on his reports go through the algorithm and see if he's receiving the right options. Oh, of the like up to date or something? Yeah, or? yeah. Like I went on up to date, look mm-hmm. through, okay, he has this thing on his pathology report. He has this on his blood tests. He has this on his CAT scans. What should be his options? And they gave him the right options. But so many times my patients fall out of that algorithm and start getting weird advice. And that's when I ask them to go back to their doctor, show him this this stepwise algorithm and ask, why are we deviating from this? Mm -hmm. And if they don't have a good answer, run. I was particularly excited to have Sam and Colby on this episode because they are the masters of scare on YouTube. And I know how uh, big a scaredy cat Dr. Mike actually can be. Um, So 
we you asked them this very fun question of how scared are they of a variety of things and I actually want to flip it around and ask you right, because their answers varied widely and I think your answers are going to vary wildly as well so yes uh, again for a scale from one to ten one you are so confident and grounded you're not scared whatsoever and a ten you're absolutely mortified one or zero if if you really don't think it registers zero out of ten okay we'll do a zero out of ten um uh, so how scared are you of, we'll do this in a slightly different order to throw you off. How scared are you of the dark? Give me what a 10 is. Um, a 10 is probably like audibly screaming in, in terror. Okay. A full soil. A full soil. <laughs> Perfect. Five. A five of the dark. Okay. Do you have a nightlight growing up or any, anything like that? I would always ask for the door to be cracked or a nightlight or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And was that tethered to a specific fear of, oh, there's a monster under the bed or I don't know. It's, I just can't see. So I'm the nervous. unknown. The unknown. Yeah. That's another one on the list. Fear of the unknown. Zero out of 10. Six. Six. Uh, how about, I didn't, we didn't have this on the earlier list. Heights. Oh, uh, seven. Seven, because you were afraid of living in uh, tall buildings for, mm-hmm. for a little while. And flying F-16s and everything mm-hmm. that we've done on the channel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then in that F-16, you were flat, and then you went straight up into- Like a missile into the sky. Outer space. So one of the strangest things I'd ever seen in my life, Dan and I sit in there and watch Mike in a plane fly straight up into the sky and literally disappear into the blue. That was bizarre. Um, and whole- then fly the plane. Like all these- people are like oh they flew to space first of all they didn't they technically flew to space but it's not real space mm-hmm. and then also they're not the ones flying the thing mm-hmm. i flew the f-16 yep how many people can say they flew an f-16 that's not in the military um a handful of people who did the uh thunderbirds but yeah. it's, a <laughs> it's a small group ain't me i yeah. can't say yes to that yeah. um very recently i think you have developed quite a strong fear of artificial intelligence ai oh, yeah, yeah. I'm deathly afraid of it. Um, I'm not screaming, so it's like a seven point seven five. Mike has been spiraling testing Chat GPT recently, it's and so scary. He is absolutely mortified. They've connected then. it to the internet. That's it. Mm-hmm. It's done. It's mm-hmm. going to learn on its own now. It doesn't even need us. But do you think it's going to turn into a Will yes. Smith iRobot yes. situation worse. where it's they're going to come and attack? Worse. 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 Or do you think it'll be a her situation Worse. where they? Well, the her situation. Remember how that ends? Is the AI? Oh, her's great. Oh, you got. I'm. A, I won't spoil it for you. Yeah. Okay, AI uh, horror video games. You've played some of these recently. Yeah, five and a half. Five and a half. Sharks. Ten. Ten. Dude, if you're in the water and you see a shark, ten. Spiders. Zero. Because now we know. Yeah. We just researched I, this. One. I'm still a little skeevy. Oh, they can still bite you. And... Not but skeevy. Yeah, uh, I think that's fair. Snakes. Mm. Seven. How about creepy crawlies in general? Seven. Okay. Bees. Stingers. Mm. Creatures that can sting. Four. Four. I feel, aren't, haven't you said, you don't like scorpions. I hate scorpions. You, scorpions. Ten, is, uh, Fifteen scorpions. Wow. They'll did keep you, me up at did night. Did you have a negative experience? If you experience? tell me there's a scorpion on this floor, mm-hmm. I'm leaving tomorrow. Did did you get stung by one or something? Did you see no. one as a kid? Did you just just look how frightening they are. They, they kill you. They are the most like intimidating looking yeah. creature. And they kill you. They're not spiders. And not for nothing, the word scorpion, that's a top 10 word. Yeah. That word rocks. Yeah, and I'm a Scorpio. 
uh, financial collapse. And as someone who just bought a house, you're closer to this five. than ever. Five. There's like personal financial collapse and then sort of like macroeconomic yeah, financial because collapse. Because I feel like I could always figure it out. Okay. Four or five. Even. Sure. That's the the security you always have is you can always go be a doctor somewhere. Yeah, but I, I just have skills, like hand mm -hmm. skills. Mm -hmm. Meaning I could fight. I can mm -hmm. sew a wound. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Dance laughing. You can only fans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, if there's financial collapse, there's no only fans. No one can give you money. Uh. Asteroid or meteor apocalypse? Earth getting obliterated by a rock from space? Seven. Seven? Yeah. Okay. Like that was the... Um, Don't Look Up? Yeah. The Caprio movie? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Being canceled. Mm. I've gotten better with this. Mm-hmm. Six and a half. Okay. Zombies? Ten. A ten? Zombies would get you? No, actually... No. The zombie apocalypse, ten. Mm -hmm. Zombie itself, two. Because you're afraid. So that's that's always the question. You recently played The Last of Us. Yeah. And I always ask people who played it, what scares you more, the infected or the humans? Because they're the both humans. scary for very different the reasons. The whole apocalypse is scary. The zombie itself, one time. I think the human is scarier. Yeah. Human's way worse. You can kind of predict the behavior of a zombie. Yeah. The behavior of a human can be The devil sadistic. you know is better than the devil. Absolutely. Uh, possession or exorcism? I don't even know what that means. Zero. But like a demon Zero. taking you over. Good luck. Wow. I'm really? already a demon. How about like general um, religious phenomena? Zero. Like Indiana Jones kind of stuff. What? Like the, the Ark of the Covenant, covenant opening. And Zero. That there don't are... believe in it. Have no fear around it. Cool. Totally legit. Aliens or UFOs? Mm, two. Two? So... Is that because you reject their existence? No, just I, I have no reason to believe that they'll murder me. That's a very logical point of view. I think that's a great a great way to be. Yeah, we can believe that they're aliens. We can also believe that there are ghosts. Why do we assume they're hostile? Exactly. So then how about ghosts? Um, three. Three. Okay. Mummies? Zero. I was afraid of mummies. Yeah. Come on, right? That's got to be low. How about scary books? Zero. Have you ever read any scary books? I don't read. That's right. You listen to stuff. Yo. And I've never listened to a scary book. Yo, read The Shining and come back to me and really? tell me. Yeah. Actually sit there and read it in the dark. Have no. you read The Shining, Dan? How do you read in the dark? Well, like in a room with one light. <laughs> Good point. You got me. And then finally, um, scary movies. Six. Yeah. You do get a little spooked out by I the scary movie. movie. That's why I don't watch them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you avoid them. Um, those are the things that Dr. Mike is afraid of. Mm -hmm. You know what Dr. Mike is not afraid of? Medical questions yeah. from the internet. I'm ready. He's a pro. Um, this is a question that comes from Happy Daisy. If you would like to have a medical question read on the podcast, delivered to Mike and receive an answer, you can ha have that happen by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and in the body of your re review, write a medical question and it may come up and be read to Mike. So this first question from Happy Daisy who gave us five stars is, when someone gets a body part amputated, where does that amputated body part go? What does the hospital do with a severed limb? I think we looked this up in the past for uh, responding to comments video. Um, and I believe they uh, get disposed of in the biohazard if it's a small uh, body part. And then I believe that there are um, in, in incineration. In, when something's burned. Incinerated? An incinerator. It, but the process of being incinerated is incineration? Uh, your hand was incinerated? But do the TION version of that. 
Incineration. Sounds weird. Oh, no. What's happening? <laughs> well, anyway, it, it's incinerated. And so you can't... If you go to get your wisdom teeth taken out, the dental surgeon may allow you to bring the teeth home with you. Can you bring uh, an amputated foot home with you? Mm. I have to imagine it's no. I think a foot, no, but I think maybe certain things. Like something with flesh? Maybe something small, because they can preserve it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the answer. I'm not going to act like I know. Okay. That's good. Um, Well, please leave us a five-star review. (laughs) And also, if you've made it this far, you might be interested in joining us on our Patreon, uh, $10 a month. 100% of the money is donated to a charity of your Patreon uh, uh, resident choosing every month. We vote on where to to give the money during a a Dr. Mike live stream. So we'd love to have uh, you join us there and continue making our charitable impact. We've given away almost $200,000 now through that Patreon. Uh, And maybe somebody out there could be interested in learning uh, how to turn their level of professionalism or expertise into a media career. Join Professionals Media Academy Mm -hmm. on Professional Media professionalsmediaacademy.com where I teach you how to become the go-to medical or media expert. You could be of any profession. You could be a doctor, a lawyer, pharmacist, mm-hmm. business person, real estate agent, lawyer. Mm-hmm. You could follow and learn what has made our channel so successful. Our media journey has been so successful and where we've messed up so you can avoid those mistakes for yourself. Yes, this is a course designed by Mike that he wish had been given to him when he started his media career. Uh, You can learn how to build a YouTube channel, how to get booked on nationwide television talk shows, how to find an agent, how to do brand deals, how to hire, how to make content. There's so much there. So please go to professionalsmediaacademy.com if you're an expert who wants to turn your career into a, a media um, industry, media business of some kind. Empire. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed learning all about testicular cancer. And a huge thank you to Sam and Colby for sharing their unique medical journeys. As always, stay happy and healthy. And thanks for joining on the Checkup Podcast.